This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. <laughs> I zapped us there with a little bit of a... <laughs> G'day. Welcome aboard the Starship Zero G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio. I'm Rob Jan. And me, Gimme And this is episode number 1211, which is entitled Excelsior. Mm. What else can we do? Exactly. A podcast title is, well, that's also a tribute to Stanley <laughs> in the immortal words of a wonderful blue-eyed Benji Grimm. It's pottering time. Now, obviously we're going to be talking about Stan Lee today and latest episode of Doctor Who. Well, not the latest, last week's episode. Not yes. Yet, not this morning's We're not about that... trying to spoil things. No. <laughs> Although, petty evil. <laughs> I mean, yes, there's a time and a place for spoiling. Yeah, but it's, it's within our remit. <laughs> we're, not, we're not doing it for this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Um, We'll also uh, talk about uh, Sabrina. Is it what's the subtitle of that? The Chilling the Adventures. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Yeah, so we can, that, that's good on a hot day. Excellent. <laughs> and uh, oh my gosh, William Goldman also passed away I too. I know it's been a big week for uh, uh, reminiscing and and things. Yes, the Reaper has taken a grim toll today. Not a Ben grim toll though. Now, uh, we'll also um, maybe have time to look at a few other things if if I just hurry along. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Okay, look, I wanted to mention that um, we were talking about Filmstruck closing down at the end of the month. That's a uh, classic film streaming service that also includes the Criterion Collection, famous collection of classic films. Um, And that's actually going to be kind of revived in a way, in a different form. Um, film struck uh, no longer with us at the end of the month, but um, the Criterion Collection is going to be part of Warner Media's uh, own streaming service, launching in the fourth quarter of two thousand and nineteen. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't think that would just vanish without a trace. Um, I think they're also going to do their own um, separate standalone service too. So okay, it'll still be there. Whew. <laughs> Uh, all right. Now, um, also, I just wanted to mention I've just seen dropped on Netflix the Ballad of Billy Scruggs. Oh, okay. Which is the Coen Brothers anthology movie. Yes, someone was mentioning this. I was like, surely not. If there was going to be some Coen Brothers content, I'd know about it. But here it is. Had no idea. It's an anthology movie with six vignettes. Okay. Who does that anymore? Wow. Well, uh, several. The Coen several yeah. <laughs> Um, several of which would uh, quite qualify to head down the trail towards the Twilight Zone. Ooh. So you've, how, you've watched these I watched already. it last okay, night. you cracked through it all. Uh, I was captivated. Absolutely okay. wonderful. So we'll talk about that at some other stage, uh, but The Ballad of Billy Scruggs mm-hmm. just dropped on Netflix. Absolutely brilliant. Great. Beautifully cinematic, which is a shame because okay. it's on net- television. <laughs> but to be fair, a lot of the, the good cinematography I've seen lately has actually been in telly yeah, yeah. so watch, all right we'll have to watch it to the yeah list. that's your homework people uh, also um dropped is um orson wells the other side of the wind oh. which is a, an american experimental film directed co-written co-produced and co-edited by mr wells himself um 40 years in development so it's been wow. finished off basically after well of course he's probably uh, sitting around in a storage room for a bit yeah yeah but of course peter bogdanovich um uh worked on it started it actually too originally so he's a great filmmaker now and they've been able to go back and uh, and complete it so i think it's all cool i haven't seen that one yet i'm saving that and again that's on netflix gosh lots of good stuff yeah uh also monster fest starts this week too and um haven't really been able to give it the attention that it, Mm. it does deserve but, um, you know, it is on. Check it out at monsterfest.com.au. Lots of horrific things there. There's so much on in the genre. I know. It's no. like we're spoiled for choice, aren't we? Yeah. Well, today's Daily Bugle headline reads, When Falls a Titan. Mm. Editorial by J. Jonah Jameson and pictures by Peter Parker. 
<laughs> that, uh, but nothing to do with Spider-Man. He was a menace to the city. Well, um, yeah, where were you when you heard the news that Stan Lee had passed away? I It had popped up in my Instagram feed because you always get a few people that will post the image as soon as they yeah. sort of hear and then, you know, sort of give a memory of you know, what Stan Lee's meant to them. So I think I was probably on my commute or something because mm. it was pretty soon after our last show because I remember I messaged you right away and I was like, well, Rob, <laughs> there's a portion of next week's show kind of sorted already. I was actually reading some comic books, some Marvel comic books, which is not an unusual coincidence. No. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and actually it was one of the characters that... Um, um, Stan had co-created um, Iron Man. Oh, of course. Yeah, so again, not <laughs> so it a wasn't an stretch. unusual pastime for you, but yeah. well befitting the uh, the news. Co-creator of so much that was and is wonderful, weird, wacky, and warped on Earth One Two One Eight, which is us. Mm-hmm. Which means that when we get to it was our G episode One Two One Eight, I have to remember that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's our planet's reality number within the mighty Marvel universe, as opposed to Earth Six One Six, which is the mainstream Marvel universe, <laughs> as opposed to one of the other numbers, a much longer number, which is for the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> so this this man actually best- it's all properly logged. <laughs> yeah, he bestrides the several universes like a colossus. Um, as a writer and editor, his uh, contributions to successive publishers from Timely Comics through to Atlas and Marvel and DC as yeah. well. Um, not as many people associate him with DC, but he had a stint with DC. Yeah. Uh, and Stan Lee Media, his own company, which went bankrupt, uh, and Powell Entertainment, which mm. I think was the one he was working with uh, at the last. Um he had so many facets to the work that he did, and, and it's all going to keep playing out for years too. Yes. You know, I think um, there was a Chinese superhero that he kind of co-created just recently <laughs> you know, oh, wow. as part of POW. So he was a fan of movies. Yes. Um, you can tell that by his involvement in the MCU, I think. Yes. Like his cameos, and I think that kind of just showed that, you know, he's still really engaged with, you know, what's happening with these characters and enjoys having his little moment in the films and doing that for the fans? Well, you know, 95, it's sort of like they'd have to, they, they tried to program a few filming of cameos for the same day. Mm. So that must have been an interesting shuffle around. Because he's an, he's an older man. Like, I remember when he came here for a con a few years ago. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's tiring to spend all day doing meet and greets and signing autographs. When you're young and but the best of times, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, doing that kind of stuff for the fans, I think, when you're of that age and you know that it's going to be a busy long day because you know you're popular. Mm. I mean, I think that that speaks a lot to how much he valued. I think he was a, he was a fan of uh, literature from pulp heroes through to comic books and um, newspaper comic book strips through to Shakespeare and, you know, everything. His references that you can see in his stories are many and varied. Uh, And actually, there's a whole bunch of um, people I know who've just said, well, I was first introduced to this book through seeing a reference in a Marvel comic. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's the way I got... That's the best way to... Sure, yeah, that's how I got into... um, uh, all sorts of things for yeah. Marvel. Um, he worked as when he was younger. Uh, he wrote obituaries for a news service. Oh wow! Uh, um, delivered sandwiches. Uh, office boy for a trouser manufacturer. He was an usher in on Broadway. Um, sold subscriptions to a newspaper. You know, <laughs> all these things. And, and actually, joined um, a federal theatre project as well. Uh, he was um, born on December 28th in 1922 um, passed away on the November, November the 12th in uh, Cedars-Sinai Medical Centre in Los Angeles in California. Um, I think he'd been rushed there for a, a medical emergency earlier in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he had um, pneumonia as well um, sometime earlier in the year. So many things that were just sort of going on with him. Um, yeah, uh, well, oh, he was a particular fan of Errol Flynn, too. Oh. Yeah, and you can actually see that, um, there, there's often a, a dash, um, of Errol Flynn in, in many of the Marvel characters he co-created, um, but particularly in Tony Stark, mm. who looks like Errol Flynn, the way he's drawn, uh, and also, um, 
even more so in one of the um, um, the Asgardians, uh, one, the Warriors Free. Yeah, right. Dashing Fandral. He cool. was so Errol Flynn. <laughs> ha Inspired by, yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so he got a job, as you do back in the day, um, with the help of his uncle, uh, and become an assistant in 1939 at Timely Comics Division of um, a company run by a comic book publisher called Martin Goodman. Mm-hmm. Um, this Timely Comics, which is often referenced in Marvel Comics as an Easter egg nowadays, uh, yeah, it evolved eventually into Marvel Comics. There's a long sort of trail there. Um, now, he was hired by uh, Joe Simon. So when I think of all these early days, I think of Joe Simon mm. and Stan Lee and, of course, Jack Kirby, mm. Jack King Kirby. Um, now, look, there was there's a little bit of controversy over how much credit Stan would claim for different things. I can tell you, you know, my media experience is some of that's down to interviewers. Mm. That's the angle they take. Yeah. And it just gets dropped through. Um, other things, yeah, I'm sure he had his weaknesses like we all do. <laughs> um, but a sen- not having a sense of humour, definitely not. This, this guy was a funny guy. Uh, and he knew it. And he was also a corny, funny guy as yeah. well. If you read any of his um, editorials, bullpen bulletins in, the, uh, in older Marvel comics, you can always see that. He, he, he just loved the shtick. <laughs> um, Originally, he was, like, uh, helping the artists, um, you know, go and make sure that their ink wells were filled, <laughs> that sort of thing, get them lunch. Gosh. Um, proofreading, sharpened pencils, and eventually got into it, into the actual creative side of it himself. Um, with a, uh, a bit of text filler, they used to have to... Um, um, fill up the comics if you if you have a short page or mm. half a page. So he'd do uh, little stories and stuff. And, and the first thing, his comic book debut was actually a little bit of text, okay. uh, a story called Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge. Although it's a mistake to think that he actually created Captain America because he didn't. That was um, uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby mm-hmm. earlier on. So um, he did go into the uh, U.S. Army in 1942 um, he became a member of the Signal Corps, and he his. I, I was reading his um, biography, autobiography, actually, uh, the other day, and he was saying that he he wanted to go off and do his duty, and he was actually afraid that if he didn't, people would think he was a coward. Uh, and, and when he got into the Signal Signal Corps, he had this grand idea that he'd be shimmying up. Um, telephone poles under fire and uh, laying reels of um, communications cable across battlefields and all that sort of stuff. But they found out he could write. And... (laughs) They they kept him in the States to write training videos and actually to do some training of of troops as well, which he thought kind of amusing (laughs) because he had no experience with that. So he gamed it. He he dressed up tough in in, uh, slightly dirty clothing, grew a stubbly beard and put a cigar in his mouth. You know, he just did (laughs) that. Yeah, played the part. Played the part. And and you actually can see that in some of his characters (laughs) uh, later on. and he, uh, <laughs> the funniest thing I thought, uh, he one of the most important contributions to the war effort, he says, was um, providing um, personal hygiene posters for uh, soldiers on leave that they put up, you know, anti-VD posters and sort of yeah, stuff. Yeah, right. I haven't found one of those, but imagine being able to find one of those Ugh. and having gotten him to sign that. I'm yeah. sure somebody would have oh, done I'm that. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> So he did training manuals and slogans and, and some cartooning. And the thing is, he took his comic book work to the army. He still did stuff at night and sent Gosh. it off. <laughs> <laughs> That's dedication. So when he left the army, you know, he was hoping to get a, um, uh, uh, a discharge certificate that would say, you know, something, something gallant and yeah. dramatic. He got the military classification and he says, and I don't know if this is true, that... Um, only nine men in the US Army were given this title. Playwright. That's <laughs> 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 so cool. Okay, so he goes back to Timely and, um, uh, and, and his career just opens up from there. But basically as a comic book writer, editor and publisher. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's doing all of the things, anything. He's writing anything. Romance comics, Western comics, uh, humour science fiction, medieval adventure, horror, suspense, 
um, because the superhero stuff wasn't all that big yeah. after the war. Yeah. It sort of petered out. And, um, yeah. Then he went on into, um, uh, you know, later on, he's working on um, uh, kind of photographic um, little books. Like they'll have, they get picture, stock photos from stock photo companies mm. and then he'd write funny captions for them. Which were quite successful. But the early meme. <laughs> yeah, kind of like that. Yeah. Actually, no, that's a good one. And there's mm. memes in paper. And they'd sell like 5,000 copies, but not be. Yeah. Go, he never thought to do second prints. Stanley was not really all that good as a financial person. Mm, okay. From what I can tell. He wasn't the businessman. No. He, was the, he says that too. The creative <laughs> one. So, okay, he's doing the Marvel. Uh, the comics, and they decided to change it to Marvel because um, they'd done a one-off comic earlier on called Marvel, and he liked that. Mm. Good uh, name. I mean, they name stadiums after it these days. So. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Uh, and you know, it's like um, he's, he and Jack Kirby and other artists co-created the Hulk, Thor, Iron Man, X Men, Daredevil, Doctor Strange, Spider-Man, um, Submariner, and of course they put the team together for the Avengers. Yep. Um, but the core one, the very first one was like um, the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. which had the family, you know, Sue Storm and her brother Johnny, Reed yep. Richards, uh, who later marries Sue Storm, and Benjamin J. Grimm, the, th- the thing of all their superpowers. But this was like the family, the yeah. first family. Family. They often refer to that of superherodom. And although there have been sort of loose associations before, um, particularly with the, uh, the, um, the Shazam Marvel, mm. with, you know, there was a sort of a thing going on there. But this one was really a, a, a proper family with mm. bickering and feuding. And, and this was kind of like the Marvel signature from then on, yeah. that you would have people who were actually involved in more realistic personal lives, no matter mm. what they got up to. So, I mean, this is so I- important to uh, late... 20th century culture, uh, mid to late 20th century culture, and also in the 21st century, as we've seen with the explosion of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yep. And speaking of the cameos, um, although he didn't break also, um, Alfred Hitchcock's record for cameos in um, his own movies. Oh, really? No. I would have thought. 39 for Hitchcock. Yeah. But. But you could add in all of the um, the mentions in all of the MCU television shows. Okay, uh, yeah. And the fact that he appeared in animated television shows and had voices and in video games and so on. So yeah. I reckon I reckon he's quite he's up there. He's got it, yeah. <laughs> he, he's the, William, the Wilhelm, Wilhelm scream of uh, physical cameos. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so much there. But I wanted to just um, run this past you. Um, as a uh, a thing, mm, a thing, <laughs> a thing. <laughs> just to give you an idea of how creative he was. So I want to thank Stan Lee for his part in teaching me the alphabet by introducing me to the following characters. Ooh, now, okay. just listing these characters gives the weight of this man's contribution to pop culture. All right, the astonishing Ant Man. The overwhelmingly cool agents Peggy and Sharon Carter. The abominable abomination, and I'm glad I got through that. (laughs) The abrasive absorbing man, the arcane ancient one. The annihilating annihilus, the aggressive Ares, Atuma and his undersea hordes. (laughs) Boulder the brave, Batroc the leaper, the eruditely eloquent Hank the Beast McCoy, an X-Man who sounds like he swallowed a thesaurus, the silent monarch of the Inhumans, Black Bolt, and now a word from him, (laughs) the brave Black Knight, the King of Wakanda, the Black Panther, T'Challa, Natasha Black Widow Romanoff, or Romanova, depending on where you go to, Blizzard, one of Iron Man's foes, Mm -hmm. the Blob, <laughs> Boomerang, our yeah. neck of the woods. Brother Voodoo, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. The eponymous Captains Marvel and Captain Marvel, Carol Danvers. The Circus of Crime. <laughs> <laughs> Cobra, the Collector, the Crimson Dynamo, Crystal. Cyclops, Daredevil, the Man Without Fear, who perhaps should have some. The master of the mystic arts, Doctor Strange. Mm. The dread Dormammu. (laughs) (laughs) 
Dum Dum Dugan. God bless his uh, bowler hat. Ego, the living planet, played by Kurt oh, yeah. Russell. Uh, the electrifying Electro, Enchantress and the Executioner. Fafner, Fandral the Dashing, the Errol Flynn substitute. Mm-hmm. Hogan the Grim, Volstag the Valiant. Those are the warriors free from Asgard. Done to death unfairly in Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. And the bold lady Sif. Blue-eyed Benjamin J. Grimm, Mr. Fantastic. Oh, Benjamin Grimm just got married too in the comics. Ah. Big event. Good for him. I didn't get invited. Um, Reed Richards, of course, we just said. Susan Storm, the invisible woman, but so much more than that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Johnny Storm and the whole Fantastic Four and all of their different members over the years, including the Future Foundation. Dr. Faustus, one of Captain America's foes. The Fenris Wolf. I thought he was a good doggy. Uh, the four, the four bush man, which is a, an alter ego of Stan's, uh, Jane Foster, also known as Jane Forster, since she's been Thor recently, the frightful four, Nick Fury and his howling commandos, and the agents of Shield, mm-hmm. Galactus, devourer of worlds, That's and a the good one. yeah, he's so impressive, and I cannot wait for them to properly introduce him to the MCU. <laughs> the grey gargoyle and his stony touch giant man, all of them. Mm. Goliath, who's one of the giant men. Um, Gorgon is oh, yeah. an inhuman. Gene Phoenix Grey. Oh. Groot. Yeah, good one. He is. Uh, who actually was introduced earlier on as a monster in Marvel Comics. I'm glad that they've he's uh, evolved. Yes. <laughs> Herbie, one of the Fantastic Four's robots. Hawkeye. Oh, one of my faves, you know. Hawkeye. Both Hawkeyes, but I don't think he introduced the second one. Mm. Uh, the Hellacious Hella, Queen of Hell. Hercules, the High Evolutionary, mm. a personal favourite of mine as uh, sort of villains. Happy Hogan, Tony Stark's chauffeur. <laughs> like Tony Shark, Stark needs someone to drive him around. He also sorts out, you know, things that need to be done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce Incredible Hulk, Banner. Iceman from the X-Men, the implausible, impossible man, one of the Fantastic Four's sillier foes, mm. the Inhumans, J. Jonah Jamison, Edwin Jarvis, Gabe Jones. Have I mentioned Doctor Doom anywhere in there? I don't think so. I should. Mm. Maybe you don't use his name and like summon him. <laughs> and in, in fact, the entire country of Latveria. Mm. who Stan said he'd mentioned so often in the comic books that he began to think he could find it on the map. <laughs> and I do. Whenever I do a country quiz, I always write Latveria and then realise... It's not so not much. Right. Uh... Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I, I yearn for the day it's on Eurovision. Uh, <laughs> Juggernaut, best seen in Deadpool 2. Uh, Kazar from the um, Forgotten Land. Kang the Conqueror. Carnilla, Queen of the Norns, Kid Colt, Outlaw, Western one, Uh, William Kingpin Fisk, Claw, the Sonic Man. Claw with a K. With a K, yes. Eric Koenig, another Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Mm. Uh, Krang, Craven the Hunter. He's so cool. He's (laughs) most recently seen in Squirrel Girl comics. Um, The Leader, with his big brain, The -hmm. Living Laser, Lockjaw, the Inhuman... Bulldog, who can teleport. Nice. (laughs) Loki Lofuson, the trickster. Of course. Who's now going to have his own television show. Is he? He is, A Hiddleston television show? A Hiddleston television show. Is he? Yeah. I approve. Um, The Machine Smith, Mm -hmm. the Mad Thinker and his awesome android, Madame Mask, Magneto, (laughs) Man-Thing, if you know his touch, you will burn mm. if you're fearsome. The Mandarin and his ten rings, a personal mm. favourite. Uh, personal not favourite. <laughs> <laughs> hey, shout out to Trevor Slattery out there. Uh, Alicia Masters, the uh, the blind sculptress who married mm. the thing. Uh, Maximus the Mad, Blake Bolt's brother. The Melter, Aunt May. Aww. Uh, <laughs> do you know that she... Um, once fell in love with Dr. Octopus. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I can see that trying to be a storyline. It was sure. awkward for Peter. <laughs> uh, Mephisto and the Midgard surf- serpent that uh, was supposed to destroy um, mm. Asgard in Ragnarok. Millie the model, 
That's one of the really old ones. Uh, Miracle Man, Mr. Hyde, mm. Modoc. <laughs> That's the big giant head. Oh, right. Yes. The Molecule Man, Baron Mordo, Mysterio, Count Nefaria, Foggy Nelson. Mm, that's a good one. Yes. Night Nurse. Yes, another of, good daredevil one. Yes, sort of morphed into Claire Ish, Temple. Yeah. and yeah. Uh, Dr. Octopus, Odin, mm. Norman and Harry Osborn, the um, Green Goblins. Yep. Karen Page. Yeah. And she has a story arc, I can tell you, in a new Daredevil <laughs> series. Oh, yeah. Have you finished that? I have. Mm. Just to digress. And it is brilliant. Okay. Wonderful okay. television. And Fisk is such a super villain. Excellent. The Rawhide Kid, another cowboy. The Red Ghost. Franklin Richards. That's the, um, the Richards' son. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the Rhino. The Rigmaster. Betty Ross. Mm-hmm. General Thunderbolt Ross, the Sandman, the Scarlet Witch, the Sentinels, She-Hulk. Shout out to to Jennifer Walters. Love a bit of She-Hulk. I I really wish they'd introduced her in um, Daredevil as another lawyer. (laughs) The eternally amazing Spider-Man, all of them. Mm. Gwen Stacy. I'm so sorry, Gwen. So sad. What happened to you? Stiltman. Stripperella. Stiltman. Stiltman. <laughs> Stripperella. He Love actually, it. that's one where uh, I think Pamela Anderson voiced the character. <laughs> Baron Strucker. Surtur, the fire demon. We saw him in uh, Thor Ragnarok. The mm-hmm. swordsman. Glenn Talbot. The god of thunder, Mighty Four. Tigra. The tinkerer. Mm. <laughs> Titanium Man, one of Tony's enemies. The toad. <laughs> The Trapster, that's also known as... Uh, yes, the Toad. What happens to a Toad when you, when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens to everything else. <laughs> <laughs> Bolivar Trask, that's mm-hmm. the anti-mutant guy. Triton, the Two-Gun Kid. Ultimo, Uncle Ben. Oh, yeah, you should include him. I'm glad you included him. With great power. <laughs> or with grey power in the case of Uncle Ben comes great responsibility. The Vulture, Adam Warlock. The Wondrous Winsome Wasp, Janet Van Dyne, mm. uh, Mary Jane Watson, MJ, <laughs> Whiplash, Wyatt Wingfoot, a Native American superhero. Oh, cool. Stan was very big on um, diversity and several times wrote anti-bigotry editorials for Marvel. The Wizard, Wonder Man, theoretically played by... Um, uh, the guy who plays Rick Castle in um, Castle. I, I know his name. I'm Nathan from, Fillion. Nathan Fillion, yeah, of course. Theoretically played by him. Uh, Wong, mm, the sidekick. Yes. Wong Chu, the wrecker, Professor X and his X-Men. The Yancey Street gang, a plague of Ben Grimm's life. Professor Ho Yin Sen, Ymir, the monster. <laughs> Yondu. Oh, yeah. Also known as Mary Poppins. Zebu, that's the dog for um, <laughs> Kazar. <laughs> Sorry, not the dog, it's a, it's a, a saber toothed tiger. And Baron Zemo, I got to a Z there, I knew I'd get one there. Whew. It took me. It's quite the list. Five minutes to do that. Uh, and that's, that's the measure of Stan Lee's contribution to comic books. And there's more. Yeah. They were only the ones that I knew. <laughs> I'm sure that's pretty comprehensive, though. He was the Fantastic Four's postman, Willie Lumpkin. Mm. He actually played that in one of the movies, uh, one of the Spider-Man ones. they'll make a good Fantastic Four, won't they? They will. Hopefully. Hopefully. I've got my hopes up. We we need to let the other ones lie fallow for a bit. I think they just need to be, like, covered over, forgotten, and then they'll do a good good version. As we saw at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 2, uh, he was also maybe a watcher. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm not sure about that. That was one of the, his more uh, controversial cameos. And, of course, thank you, Stanley, most of all, for co-creating my all-time favourite character across all of fiction, <laughs> the cool exec with a heart of steel, Anthony Edward Stark, the invincible Iron Man. And he did that because he was actually being naughty. He th- said it was at the height of the Vietnam War uh, and I wanted to create something that would be a really difficult one for the young people to accept. Love it. What more could that be than someone who was a munitions dealer, an ironmonger? Yeah. And he did it and history was thereby made. He once said, 
not Tony Stark, though I'm sure he'd claim it. If Shakespeare and Michelangelo were alive today and if they decided to collaborate on a comic, Shakespeare would write the script and Michelangelo would, oh, Michelangelo would draw it. How could anybody say that this wouldn't be a, as worthwhile an art form as anything on Earth? He leaves behind the Stan Lee Foundation, uh, which was founded in 2010 to focus on literacy, education and the arts. Mm -hmm. And also, uh, tragically, his uh, wife died last year, his wife of 69 years. Wow. uh, Joan Clayton Bucock, who was um, English and um, married Stan in 1947. Oof. Yeah. Uh, And, of course, his daughter, Joan... Um, Cecilia J.C. Lee. So there you go. He was um, born in New York and lived there for quite a bit of time and you can see that in the Marvel comics. So you're actually walking around the neighbourhood that Stan Lee walked around (laughs) back in the day when you see Marvel movies and comics. Yeah. uh, I think the best cameo I've seen him do was in The Big Bang Theory where Sheldon Cooper had to have a restraining order slapped on him to keep him away from Stan. <laughs> I, I just don't get that show. but <laughs> it, it is my life. <laughs> Only without the degrees and the PhDs. Okay, well, that's our farewell to Stan Lee, mm. the, uh, Stan the Man Lee from all so many different comic worlds. Okay, well, um, I thought I'd play a track here which is a bit of a funny one, so it's not exactly... Um, <laughs> not ex- I, it's, it's, you know, given that Stanley had a big sense of humour. <laughs> so this is actually a, an epic rack, rap battle mm-hmm. between two great titans of entertainment pop culture, Jim Henson and Stan Lee. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously it's made up, but I kind of liked it, so... We'll go with it anyway. So here we go. Um, Jim Henson versus Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Enough said. Kapla. This is Robert O'Reilly. Welcome aboard Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. We do not forgive or forget. You know, programming selects some really appropriate <laughs> ads for Zero G. Have you ever noticed that? <laughs> They do. Yeah. I like that. Uh, okay, now uh, we've just been playing a track called Jim, Hers- Jim Henson versus Stan Lee, mm-hmm. an epic rap battle track. My ears. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're further going out into space <laughs> with Doctor Who. Yes. Actually, coming back to Earth with this one. Uh, first off, there is no Christmas special for Doctor Who this year. Oh. Uh, it's a New Year's Day special instead. Okay. I have no problem with it. Mm. Easy. And we're talking about last week's episode, not not today's episode that's just dropped, uh, but Demons of the Punjab, which is the sixth episode of the 11th series of New Doctor Who. It was written by Vinay Patel and directed by Jamie Childs, and so it's not a Chris Chibnall Mm. episode. Well, I mean, I guess, I mean, not to just cast aspersions based on someone's name, but it sounds like that they've hopefully got someone in who's got a bit of a cultural connection to the content to... Mm. Mm. We can can check that out. ...get involved, but Mm. Patel, I think. Yes. (laughs) Uh, And... um, in this episode, uh, and of course we are spoiling last week's episode, yes. so please, you know, you now have um, five seconds to run away to minimum <laughs> safe distance. Uh, and um, in this episode, it's a, a Yasmin-based episode. We yes. go. She wants to see her grandmother's wedding day or something like that. Yeah, it's a very sentimental premise. I was a bit surprised that the Doctor would go along with such an idea. I think it just seems too risky. Because after... Oh, well, there's the Doctor. (laughs) But it just... It seems like there's a difference between accidentally being dropped into, like, the Rosa Parks time Mm -hmm. and willfully choosing to... <laughs> to risk the grandmother effect, the uh, yeah. the butterfly effect of, of, of having some interaction that messes up your own timeline. Exactly. I just, I, but, I mean, look, without such risks, there would be no show. So That's right. I get it. So, of course, they all go off to, um, to 1947 um, India, to the <laughs> subcontinent, but actually at, at a particularly important time in history, the partition of India into India and Pakistan. Yes. 
a fraught time with millions killed and displaced. Yes. Um, because basically it was stuffed up, mm. you know, and then they didn't do it in any way, shape or form, properly organised or anything. Uh, and this is the, the first thing that struck me about this. Um, I didn't know as much about the petition as I should do. Yeah, uh, And immediately before I watched the episode, I went and read at least the Wikipedia entry, which is quite extensive. Okay, And good. then did some follow-up research. And so um, I felt prepped. And this mm. is, this is the, the basic old um, Doctor Who fundamental sort of thing. Yeah. Um, teaching you about history. And it does give you enough in the episode itself, I think, to give you a sense of the time and place and kind of the context. Mm-hmm. Um, and definitely I was like, oh, I do not know as much about this historical context as I A, should and B, want to. Mm-hmm. And so it's a good kind of gateway into, yeah, digging into a bit more about what that was about, I think. Mm. The story basically revolved around that grandmother paradox sort of thing, uh, but also it had a side issue about some misunderstood aliens who at first were thought to be assassins but later turned out to be watchers, essentially, yes. bearing witness to what, terrible events and deaths. What was your thought on that kind of MacGuffin? Great costumes. <laughs> um, I like the idea. I like the idea that they're mistaken for evil that, but mm. then turned out to be good. It's often the other way around in science fiction. And I did like as well it was a bit about appearances. I mean, obviously the, they were known for being more malicious or whatever. Mm. But, you know, just because they have this appearance and then it ends up that, you know, they're providing this comfort to people who... Mm. Um, are passing on alone. So. And in a way, it's an analogy for what the Doctor has to do in this story, which is to be a watcher and not mm. intervene. Yeah, good one. Mm. I just sort of... Uh, You've done this before. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, but I, I, was, I, I did think uh, it involves the death of one of the... Um, not one of the Doctor's companions, but another character who we actually get to know quite well during the course of the, mm. e- the episode, uh, a character called Prem, played by an actor called Shane Zazar, who we've seen before in Black Mirror in that episode where uh, you had the socio-economic interactive status. Oh, nosedive? Yeah, nosedive, yeah. He's a minor character in that. But, yeah, right, cool. Um, I didn't get enough stars in the system, of course. <laughs> they wouldn't let you access the rest of the information. But he carries this episode, basically, apart from the main cast, mm. and gets a hell of a speech mm. uh, at one stage that just moved me, to, actually moved me to tears. And it's, it's upsetting in the way, too, like you think that, oh, surely that's implausible that, you know, families can turn on, on each other this way, but then you're like, it's not implausible at all. No. Like, that happened and still happens now. and Because they're on the border, uh, the, the newly declared border, mm. and tears the family in half, and there's also... Uh, I've got to say that in terms of feels, <laughs> this yeah. is one of the finest Doctor Who episodes I've ever mm. seen in its whole history. So you were quite moved? I was incredibly moved and I just it, it just got me in I'm, just sitting here I'm thinking about it it makes yeah. shivers up my spine um, there may be some um, timey-wimey structural things with it and if you get too bogged down the, in procedural on this one you might want to say why didn't the Doctor do more mm. wasn't there a way that she could have done something but you know what sometimes you have to do nothing mm. and Edith Keeler must die in Star Trek terms. Um, and I think that was one of those moments. But, wow, I didn't actually learn as much about Yasmin as I thought I might have. But once again, Graham, mm. oh, Graham. rose to the fore in this. He's such a good egg. He's a definition of a good egg. I think he's such a good character and I liked that him and Yaz got to have some one-on-one Sort of, you know, some yeah. conversation time as well, which I thought was nice. And, you know, he's always trying to impart a bit of wisdom on them. Um. So basically, uh, I thought it was a, a really fine episode. It had a beautiful soundtrack mm. by the new composer, especially that they uh, transformed the theme yeah, going yeah. out. Um, I thought the Doctor was fantastic once again. And I've been noticing she has this... I'm captivated by her... Ah, oh, face, where she wrinkles <laughs> up her nose, you know? Yeah, yeah, I know exactly the one. Yeah, and it's like, you what? <laughs> 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 it always, every episode I've watched leaves me wanting more, like getting, looking forward to the next one. And they're very cheeky too. They mention other adventures that this group of companions have had off screen. I know, I thought that too. <laughs> They've done, I think they did that last episode as well. Where they mentioned the turtle thing or something? Yeah, anyway. But, yeah. Yeah, and it's like, oh, man, like... 
I want to see that too. But I think it's a nice it's a nice way of showing that you know they're doing some bonding and having adventures that we're just not seeing. But you know we'll probably see hear them in um, big Finnish audio adventures at some stage. <laughs> And the doctor jokes about being a man as well at one stage. That's right, yeah. And it makes me wonder. The henna, yeah. The companions don't know about that, do they? I feel like she's mentioned it offhand enough that maybe on one of these other adventures that we're not privy to that um, yeah. they've been filled in. I mean, I'm sure at this point nothing would surprise them. So maybe she's – she doesn't really also seem to see it as anything worth, like a big deal to disclose it. Like it's just a throwaway fact. Um so yeah, I'm I'm very happy with that episode. Mm. I I could see some tweaks being made to it, but I wouldn't do much to it, you know. Uh, anyway, um, t- the episode that's on today, um, Kablam, um, sort of t- is a take on um, what we call uh, uh, Amazon, basically in mm. space. I want to see some gripping social, social commentary. commentary <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, we're all thinking Amazon, but it could be eBay. Well, no, I couldn't. Actually. I mean, someone's shares are at a thousand dollars a share, and it's not eBay. <laughs> yeah. Well, all right, Doctor Who, and without without um, sticking a track in there, we're going to switch over to um, Sabrina. Yes, change gears. Uh, so this is something I talked you into. I mean, you didn't take that much talking into. To be fair, you were very receptive. Um, I think it's because I'd been I'd seen um, Suspiria and I was in a sort of witchy mood. Yeah, exactly. So I got you at a good time. But I think as well. I mean, Rob, I don't think you're the only one who had this reaction to this new series. So it's called The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and you were a bit like eye roll, like oh, dark teen themes. You know, yeah. seen this done a lot better. Um, you know, they're just trotting these out willy-nilly. So you're a bit fatigued by it, which I understand. So this new series, it's by the creators of Riverdale. And I will say, I mean, Riverdale's really gone on a slippery slide down, but I'm still watching it. Um, and so there might be a bit of crossover potential there. But insofar as um, kind of the tone of the series, it's actually quite a bit darker, I think. Um, and they really do pick up on some of those horror elements. So the basic premise... So it's about it is about the character that you might know and love from Sabrina the Teenage Witch of around the nineties, I think it was. Uh, comic books and films, yes, of course, and television shows a lot actually. So it is Sabrina Spellman that we know and love, but it's very much a darker take on her life. So she's a half witch, half mortal, um, and her father was a wizard. I think that's what they call them. Do they say wizard? Yeah, warlock. Warlock. I was yeah. like, that wizard doesn't sound right. I've got Harry Potter on the brain. Um, Warlock and her mother was immortal. And so obviously, without even knowing the backstory, there was obviously some kind of controversy there, which we'll unpack at some point. And then she's got kind of her band of teen Scooby gang, um, her boyfriend Harvey, and a couple of friends um, at her mortal high school. And then, of course, the series is about her struggling with um, there's a dark bat. This is sort of all introduced in the first episode, so we're not really doing any spoilers. Her dark baptism, which she's due to have on her Sweet 16, um, and that will sort of um, compel her into this witchy world of <laughs> the Dark Lord and you know, the book of the beast and all of these things where um, she'll really embrace her powers and kind of go more down this road and learn a bit more at the Academy about sort of her witchy side. Um, So that's kind of our basic premise, uh, half witch, half mortal, torn between two worlds, but also it's hinted that she's got, maybe she's sort of one of those chosen one figures. Like she's, even though she's only half witch, she's uh, got, she's savvy too, but she's maybe got some power that people are a bit, jealous of or suspect that she's she's going to go on to do great things which obviously some people like to nip in the bud she's played by sabrina uh, sorry by uh Kiernan shipka yes so she was from mad men um so that's probably what she's most well known for to be honest so she played i think is it kitty draper is that oh, let me just double sure. check here but she's also voiced um the character Sally Genora in uh, Avatar, The Last Airbender. Mm. And she's done a few bits and pieces of um, voice work and, like, she was in Family Guy and things like that. But this is kind of her big... Um, I mean, she's sort of in the main role and it's sort of her first big role um, now that... She, I think she, I looked her up and she's only... 19 or so because I think what I like about this series too is that a lot of the people that play the teen characters are actually look like teenagers rather than 30 year olds that are wearing like teenage clothing um 
I think she's brilliant, actually. She's very. I think she's a very good actress, yeah. and she fits this role to a to a T, teenage witch. She's incredibly watchable. She really holds it together too. Like mm. I think she's very compelling to watch. There's sort of a cast of her sort of little pack of friends. Uh, we haven't really, I don't, I'm not really familiar with many of those actors, but they did cast some bigger names. There's in, names in Oof. the adult roles. So her two aunties are played. Zelda Spellman is played by Miranda Otto. Yes, and also um, Hilda Spellman is played by Lucy Davis. Yes. So she's a British actress. So. Yes, she was Dawn in The Office. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and Etta Candy in the Wonder Woman movie. Oh, yeah. Yes, she was. And also, um, uh, I know her as like like the daughter of the British comedian Jasper Carrot. There's huh. a bit of trivia there. Nice. Um, yeah. But, and she is, she's actually playing this bubbly sort of witch role who has deeper... Things going on. That's my favourite bit, I think, is yeah. when you get a little bit of undertone from her or she says something. Good. And one of the things I think, and we won't go into it too much because I think part of the joy is watching it, is that there's a dream episode. Mm. And you've watched the dream episode. And, and it's, it actually is very well done. I am sceptical of dream episodes. I mean, I think Restless, the Buffy episode, is probably the finest of the genre in my mind. But this is very good. But this does a very good job. Mm. And even though it felt a bit soon in the season to do a dream episode, I still think they pulled it off beautifully. And it did actually move the plot forward a little bit. And it did give you a bit of easy character insight because you see what the nightmares are of these characters and they they don't hold back. Mm. I think um, the show did a good job of of saying, yep, we we can go a bit more edgy. Good prosthetics, too, on the monster in that one. Yeah, I think overall some of the effects in that were pretty chilling indeed. This, um, the town that she's in, uh, is it Greendale? Greendale. Yeah, it's built uh, around a coal mine Mm. area, uh, and that features in, which is quite clever, I thought. I liked that they brought in the local area. Um, I've... Being, I was impressed by that dream episode in particular. Um, their witch academy stuff, well, it's, you know, school sort of, magic school sort of stuff. It doesn't really move me. Yeah. But I love the fact that they've got Richard Coyle playing um, <laughs> playing the, uh, the the demon master, the, the, the head warlock. Yes, um, at the academy sort of. And he's sort of kind of top dog in these this coven, these mm. circles at the time. He played uh, Jeff in the comedy Coupling. Where I, I loved his role in that. <laughs> but he was also Moist Von Lipwig in Terry Pratchett's Going Postal. Uh, so, you know, and I looked at him and I thought, I know your face, and I had to go immediately and look it up. Uh, and, of course, we also have um, uh, Michelle Gomez, yes. Missy from Doctor Who. I was going to say, I was going to leave her for you because, obviously, I'm not familiar with her, but you mentioned that she plays like a pretty... You're important. not her familiar. No, not that either. <laughs> oh, and, of course, but, but she gets the chance to play uh, a fairly naughty character mm. in this and um, yeah and she's great she's, and she's very like she gets a lot of good screen time and also Salem plays himself <laughs> I'm happy with how they've conducted themselves with the Salem stuff Salem the, I think it's just right yes so. yes overall I think it's fun yeah. I um yeah do you think you'll watch more or? yes I want to finish it um I want to see what ha- it's 10 episodes on Netflix of yeah. course um and I think uh it's not going to be... It's not really my show. Yeah. I don't know if I'll go on with it for a second season, but I'm interested to see how the first one ends. How they wrap it all up. They're doing a Christmas episode as well. Are they really? They're doing a whole Christmas episode. episode. So I'm very excited It's about very that. satanic too, and <laughs> I, I think there's a lawsuit going on about uh, the temple of... Um, oh, really? ...something or other, but because they had a statue and yep. it was like their statue. And, but, you know, I mean, it's, um, it's quite... It's, you, it's not going to play well in the Midwest. No. There's a lot... They really lean into this whole, like, yeah. satanic business and, and whatnot. So, but with relish, and I think it's all done with very good... Um, Oh, they've got a house guest or a house prisoner who's oh, under yes, house arrest Ambrose. called Ambrose, uh, who's actually um, a, a gay warlock. Yes. Uh, and he's a great character. He's mm. just like sort of there. He just has these little wry kind of add-ins and just pipes yeah. up every now and then. Overall, like I think the family is the strongest unit. I'm not that sold on her and her teenage group of friends. They don't really move me that much. Hmm. And I find her to be the most interesting character. Oh, there is some good woke stuff in this. Um, you've got a... Uh, 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 a young 
um, person who's got difficulty with gender identity and, and, and is bullied a lot. And gets a, yeah, a lot of flack for it at school. Yeah, so there's some stuff in there uh, and there's some Me Too stuff with Sabrina and, and I feel like this is all... Um, quite significant and and well done too i thought it's a very well aware show like i think teen procedural (laughs) yeah i don't know (laughs) it's a teen supernatural procedural it kind of in terms of the -the run-of-the-mill stuff it ticks off all the boxes it should be doing and i also think that it's um in this day and age series like this i think have to be a little bit responsible and i think it is it's got some good messages in there i haven't seen anything too problematic yet yeah roberta aguire Sakasa is the showrunner and also worked on um, uh, Riverdale, uh, Glee, Big Love, and is the chief creative officer of Archie Comics. So of the A A C U, Archie Comics Universe, he yeah. is the the the, the big um, cheeseburger. <laughs> <laughs> and there are Easter eggs from his other career. He worked on Spider Man: Turn Off the Dark, the Broadway musical. Uh, won't hold that against him. He's done Fantastic Four comics, Spider-Man, and adaptation of Stephen King's The Stand. So this guy is somebody who actually knows comics and quite a bit about the horror genre too. So I think he's actually brought something to this that other ones I've, of this teen sort of horror haven't had. I agree. And I think this is kind of where his element is, which is why I think it plays a lot better for me than something like Riverdale, mm. which, again, enjoying, but yeah. as a shameful guilty pleasure. <laughs> I think this is probably a bit better quality and he's sort of having a bit more fun and knows what he's doing with that horror stuff. So so you surprised me once again by, with this one, Megan, <laughs> um, and I'm, uh, I'm pleased to have... Uh, been watching it and I will finish it. Excellent. Mm. It's on Netflix, 10 episodes. Yes, so you can, they're all up there, so you can watch as many as you want. We were going to talk about the late, great William Goldman, but we'll save that for next week. He deserves a good proper he tribute. a good one. Thank you to Rachel for filling in for Room of View at the start, and Joe Brunatic is coming up next with Astral Glamour. Our David Bowie track today is a cover version by Bertrand Soulier, and this is a, a French pop song, mm-hmm. and it's uh, Le Jour and Le Noir. But it is actually scary monsters and super creeps. Mm. So, you know, we're getting that David Bowie comic book and uh, horror connection there. Well, that's it for this Zero G. Thank you, Megan. Thank you, Rob. This has been a podcast from Free Triple R, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.